Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you're about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. We have been talking about, out of Matthew chapter 16, you can turn to your Bible there, Matthew chapter 16, on the church, and this has been our central truth and our idea for the series, is that the church directly opposes Satan and every demonic force out there. We know that it's not just a natural world, but it is also a spiritual world where Satan roams and has domain on the earth. But we, the church, directly opposes that, and we stand as a unified body in love. Come on, say in love. Through Christ, standing in power, we are not a dead church. We are not trying to make it or barely getting by, but we have power because of who is inside of us. The Bible says that we are living stones where the Spirit of God dwells in, and as we come together, we make the foundation. Come on. We are the foundation, the bedrock for this region, and it is upon Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone Come on, without the chief cornerstone, we would be nothing. We would just be an empty building with a bunch of dead bones. But because the Spirit of God is in us, we are alive. Amen? We are a church that has power that we have received through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only the Spirit of God, but also His Word or the Holy Bible. That's why the Word of God, the Bible, is the very thing that we need as Christians, as spirit beings, to survive. Jesus said it this way, that man lives by bread, right? But you can't just live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We live by the Word of God. Bread to the natural man is like what the word is to the spiritual man. You have to be in the word of God. You have to consume it because even if you don't eat natural bread, right, you know your body begins to feel the lack of energy. You begin to get hangry. You begin to get frustrated. And eventually what will happen is your body will begin to eat itself. Well, it's the same way spiritually. If you don't consume the word of God, you will be powerless. You will yield your life to the enemy. You will be defeated all the time. You will not be an overcomer because you are not walking and living what has already been given to you. God has given you everything that you could possibly need through his son, Jesus. I'm a little excited today. The Bible says in Matthew 16, verse 15, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Let me get a drink of water real quick. So quiet, you can hear a, is that a rock? Drop. All right, here we go. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? This is Jesus asking his disciples. And Simon Peter, who is one of Jesus' disciples, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this or has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We know that this revelation of Jesus being the Messiah and not just a man, because look, everyone thought he was just a man that could do great things. He knew the word. You know, he knew the scrolls. He could preach it. And he obviously performed miracles, signs, and wonders. But the idea of him being the Messiah, the chosen one, was still not accepted by the mass. That's why they murdered him for who he was. They murdered him because the message he preached, he literally said, I am the son of God. Eat my body. 
I mean, think about saying that in that time within the religious elite. I mean, they do exactly what they did. They killed him. So Peter gets his revelation from God, not from his mind or his intellect, but it is a spiritual one. It is revealed by God who is in heaven. And this is what Jesus tells him. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, on this revelation, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. How does the church prevail? Well, it is upon the solid rock, the firm foundation, the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, we are nothing as a church because the church is not man's idea. It is God's plan for man. See, we live in a society in the world where they think the church was created by man a couple thousand years ago. No, it was literally God's design for man. But through time and through men with narratives and ideas and directives, they have distorted what the church is supposed to be. And that's why we live in a day and age where a lot of people don't even know what the church is. And the church that they do know of or they have heard of, they don't want anything to associate themselves with it. And this is where we come in and be the light that God has called us to be, where we speak the truth in love, come on, where we stand and walk in a manner worthy of which God has called us to walk in, where we are different, where we are chosen, just like 1 Peter 2, 9 says. We live in a way to where it draws men and women to a place of repentance. And it says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now go to John chapter 8. Because today we are talking about power in the blood. You have power in the blood of Jesus. You got power in the blood. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, we would have a powerless church. We would still be doing what they did in the Old Testament where the high priests would offer up the blood of goats and cows or oxen. I mean, it was a pretty bloody mess what they did. Thank God we do not do that anymore. We now have one sacrifice once and for all through Jesus Christ that atoned for man's sins, that atoned for man's spiritual death. Come on. In John chapter 8, we see a story where Jesus is tested by the elite, by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it says in verse 1 that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and in early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Notice that it's early in the morning. He's in the temple, or he's in the church. He's in the temple, and he's teaching these people. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, now we know that we no longer live under the law. We live now under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. But now in the law, it says, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And notice in verse 6, it says that they said this to test him that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus, in humility, not responding the way they want them to, the way they want him to, he bent down and begins to write with his finger on the ground. And as they continue to ask him, so notice that they are still trying to test him. They're still trying to charge him. What would you do? 
This is what Jesus does. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. I hope you get this understanding today. I hope the church understands this today. Because a lot of times as a church, we're quick to fix people. We're quick to point out people's issues. And the motive usually is anger and frustration because we don't like what they're doing. But the Bible says that they will know you for the love that you have for the brethren. That the motive that you have of fixing somebody, fixing a parent, fixing a brother in Christ, fixing an unbeliever, is because of, is the motive, if the motive is anger, frustration, because you're just annoyed with what they're doing, you're in the wrong. And that's not love. That's not godly. That's not Christ-like. We can speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. And have you ever noticed that it takes time to build a relationship with somebody before you just go straight to the cut? Usually we just want to straight, just, ah, I'm going to say it now. We do that within our immediate family, right? You do it to your brother, to your mom. I remember I used to, man, I would back talk my mom sometimes. My dad would look at me like, whose kid are you? Like, you don't talk to your mom that way. I learned really quick not to talk to my mom like that, to back talk her. My dad was going to have it. But we do that within our family, and so we take that, and that's how we talk to other people. We can't be like that. We are the light. We are light in the darkness. And how do you think we do that? Through love. You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't have love, your faith means nothing. And we have an example right here of Jesus who's being tested by the religious, by the Pharisees. And he could either say, yeah, go ahead, do it. Or he could say, nothing at all. But Jesus, in his wisdom, and being led by God, instead of giving him a direct response, he's slow to speak. We as a church need to learn how to be slow to speak. We need to learn how to be slow to anger and quick to listen. This is what the church must do, especially in the day and age that we live in. I'm going to say be quiet and be silent. I said be slow to speak. Speak according to the word of God. Speak according to the spirit of God. Don't just throw anything out. The Bible says to be slow to speak. And this is what he says. Let him without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Why would he say this? Because he knows every single one of them that brought this woman sin. Some theologians and early scholars even said that maybe that this was a setup from the beginning. Because the reality is to stone a woman that was caught in adultery, there had to be multiple witnesses. So they had to see the very act of it. It wasn't like they saw someone go inside a house or they saw them walking. And I'm talking about a married woman. No, they actually had to see the act. You even see what they say, we caught her in the act of adultery. Meaning they set that up because it was very seldom that a woman was caught in the very act. So you got to think about it. These people set this up. It could have been one of the Pharisees that was involved. It could have just to test Jesus because they knew who she was. And some people say, some scholars say, that this possibly could be Mary Magdalene. This could be Mary Magdalene. Now, look, again, those are just what some people say. And this is what happens in verse 8. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. So notice he stands up and he answers them, but he goes back down. And it says that when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, there's been some that would say 
that he was writing maybe the, the accusers' names on the ground, or maybe he was writing the sins that they did. Um, some say that he was just probably just doodling. I don't know. There, there's nothing there that tells you exactly concrete detail what he did. But it had to be something that implicated them to leave and walk away. It had to be. See, you may be like this woman. You may be in a place where you think that you've done too much, that the love of God and the grace of God is no longer able to save your soul. Let me help you today. That's a lie. And that's what the enemy wants you to believe. You're not too far gone. Because if you continue to read, the Bible says this in verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are, your, where are those accusers or where are they? the ones that have come to condemn you. Has no one condemned you? And this is what she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So condemnation, guilt, shame does not come from Jesus Christ. It comes from sin. And Jesus knew exactly that it was from sin that brought condemnation to this woman. He said, where are those accusers? She said, they're not here. He's like, neither do I condemn you. But go and sin no more. Because he knew if he didn't say that to her, she would still live in a condemned state. It was sin that condemned her. It was the lifestyle you got to have to make a decision how you're going to live and serve God. But the reality is that there is power in his blood. You don't have to do it alone. The Bible says that his blood was shed for you at Calvary, that that blood today is without spot, without blemish, that sacrificed the Lamb of God, because that's who he is, that that blood was precious. Come on, say precious. See, food to us is precious. Relationships to us are precious. Our job, the things that we do, going outside and going for a walk on the beach, is precious to our natural body, to our emotional state, to our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. But how much more is the blood of Jesus precious to us as spirit beings? It's precious. Without his blood, we'd be nothing. Jesus did several things with these words that he said to her. He recognized that the woman has done, or what she has done, it was sin, because he, because he told her to stop sinning. He told her to repent and to not continue in her sin. He also gave her hope that her life could go on in freedom from sin. There is hope in Jesus. To a hopeless world, let me help you today, there is hope for them. The job of the church is not to just come become relevant, to water down and make things surface level to the unbeliever. No, it is to live out the word of God through deed and through action, through your words, through your lifestyle, through how you raise your family, through how your marriage is, how your relationships are, and they see the light. They see the difference. They see the transformational work of God in you. 
This is why it's so important as a church, as an individual, to seek and pursue the heart of God. It's so important for you as a Christian to know him. Because when you know him, the people around you will notice it. There will be some that will be turned away from it, but there will be others that will be drawn to it. See, he gave her hope, or he gave her a word of hope to speak against the shame that would later likely threaten to overwhelm her life. Notice that it is sin that will overwhelm you. The decisions that you make contrary to the things of God will overwhelm you. It will cause depression. It will cause stress. It will cause anger. It will cause like a weight and a pressure to be just overwhelmed in life, to have chaos. But Jesus gave her hope. And just like he gave her hope, he's given you hope today. And that is through his blood. That is through his sacrifice. That is through his word to where you don't have to be overwhelmed, where you don't have to feel the weight and pressure to where you can't live and have freedom and liberty. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. See, what you deserve has been taken care of through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with just gold or silver, which loses their value. It is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. His blood paid the ransom for your life. See, the blood of Jesus is precious because of its redeeming power. Say redeeming. The Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. As we see in this text in 1 Peter, the word of God teaches that the blood of Christ is precious. It's precious because of its redeeming power. And we were not redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus is our high priest. And if you've ever taken time reading Hebrews, I want to encourage you, take some time. We don't have enough time to go through it. Read Hebrews 7, 8, 9, 10. Read those chapters. And it'll talk about Jesus being our high priest and how that high priest order has changed through his sacrifice. In Hebrews 7, though, it says this in verse 25, therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. How do we come to God? Through Jesus. Through Jesus. We now can come to God through the sacrifice that Jesus gave. He lives forever, look at this, to intercede with God on our behalf. We're talking about intercession. And literally Jesus right now, listen, is interceding or is praying. That word intercede means to beg to entreat, to pray, to plead your behalf. Jesus right now on the right hand of the Father is praying for you. God doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. And when you come in repentance and say, God, forgive me, I'm wrong, guess what? It says that he doesn't remember. It's completely wiped out. See, us as humans, we still remember when people do us wrong. It's just within us. It's hard to forget. You know, you've, you ever heard that? I can forgive you, but I can't forget it. The thing with Jesus, though, and the thing with God, sorry, is he forgives you through the blood of Jesus, and he completely forgets it. 
So today, if there's discouragement of any past sin that you've asked God to repent or that you turned from and you've asked God to help you with and you've gotten right in your heart, stop allowing the enemy to lie to you to tell you that you're not free from it. Stop allowing even your own flesh to say, you know what, it's still an issue between you and God because it's not. Now, if you're still walking in it and still living in it, turn. Turn away. That's what the Bible means when it says repentance. Turn away. The cool thing is you have an advocate who's pleading for you. And you can come throwly, or come boldly to the throne room of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. The Bible also says this about grace. You guys good? And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said to us that our grace or his grace is sufficient for you for his power is made perfect in your weakness therefore i will boast all the more gladly of my weakness this is what paul's saying so that the power of christ may rest upon me the blood of jesus helps you enter into a place of rest the blood of jesus helps you enter into a place of rest the bible says in ephesians 1:19 through 20 and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believes according to the working of his great might that he did in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Jesus is now seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God. That place of seating is a place of completion. It is finished and that's where you get your victory from. It is not from how many prayers you pray. It's not from how loud you get when you pray. It's not about your good works, but it's through the finished work of Christ. That's how you know you're a victor today. The Bible says in Ephesians 1:7, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. His blood also reconciles you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off are made close by the blood of Christ. You didn't do it. You couldn't earn it. There was nothing that you could do to earn salvation. It was done through his blood. The Bible says, says this in Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, and I kind of loosely said it, but I'm gonna read it correctly to you now. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Jesus had to die. If he didn't die, me and you today would not have salvation me and you today would have what they had in the Old Testament before Jesus. We would be condemned from our sin or for our sin. We would have exactly what we should get. But because of Jesus' blood, we don't get what we should get because Jesus is our substitute, because Jesus took our place. How awesome to know that the blood of Jesus and that working power when he came and he gave his life, not only did it save humanity, not only was it the answer to all mankind's problems, then, but also now. 
The Bible says in Hebrews, once and for all, it's a one-time sacrifice. All you have to do is believe and receive. See, you don't come to God through your own name. You don't come to God through your own righteousness. I do not care how many good works and how much right conduct you have. We have to come to God through the blood of Jesus. That's the only way you can come to him. So thank God for his blood. If the blood was never really important to you now, I hope it is. It's because of his blood that you can be a Christian. It's because of his blood that you can have eternity in heaven. It's because of his blood that you have hope. It's because of his blood that you can come boldly to him. The Bible says this in Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. The word of their testimony would be their confession. And I've talked a lot about confession. But I don't think we know as much as we should about the blood of the lamb. The Lord didn't just say they overcame by the word of their testimony or the word of their confession. No, he says that we have overcome by the blood of the lamb in the word of our testimony. It's through the blood of the lamb. See, thank God there's a song that says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There's another song. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.